Good morning. So this morning we're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew. For the last few weeks we have been studying various parables the Lord Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13. And we've already covered the first uh, six out of seven parables. And today we need to look at the very last one. Each of these parables have a common theme and teach us a truth about the kingdom of heaven. That's what the, um, each parable starts with, or most of them do. The kingdom of heaven is used 30 ti- 32 times in the gospel of Matthew. And throughout the other gospels and throughout the scripture, we see the kingdom of God used. And David talked about it, that they're, they're synonymous. Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are the same thing. So since it's used so many times in this gospel, it's important to review again just briefly what that means. Simply put, the kingdom is, the kingdom of heaven includes everyone who professes to acknowledge God. As Matt illustrated a few weeks ago, he had a picture of an outer circle and an inner circle. There is an outer aspect and an inner aspect to the kingdom of heaven. The outer circle represents all who profess to know the Lord, who profess to acknowledge God. But the inner circle consists of those who are genuinely true believers. And we have the parable of the wheat and the tares, which the wheat represents the believers, the genuine believers. And then the enemy came and sowed tares, which which are, um, they look like wheat, but they are actually uh, imitation wheat. Those are the unbelievers. On the outside, the wheat look identical to the, um, to the tear, or the tares look identical to the wheat. And just, just as it's difficult to identify those two things, it's also difficult to identify true believers from false believers, from false professors, without being able to look at their heart. And so that's the current phase that we're in right now. And the other aspect of the kingdom of heaven is that the kingdom has various phases. And we've talked about that before, that there's five phases of the kingdom of heaven. First, the kingdom was prophesied. We have Daniel 2.44 that says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to another people. It shall, be, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. So it was prophesied that the kingdom was coming. Then we have the kingdom is at hand. And we have John the Baptist preaching that the kingdom is at hand. And Jesus says, the kingdom is in your midst. It's in front of you. Jesus was there. The king was there. And they rejected the king. Israel did not want Jesus to be as their king. And they crucified him. And so now we have the king who has gone away. He's gone back to heaven. And we have a kingdom, but it's something that you can't see. It's in the hearts of those who profess to know him. And we are currently in this phase right now. Eventually, in the future, there are two more phases. The kingdom will eventually be manifest. And that will happen when God comes, when Jesus returns back with his saints and the angels And he sets up his physical kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. That's the millennial. And then once that millennial kingdom has finished, or is over, once that time is done, 
then it will move on to the eternal kingdom, where it will be, um, the kingdom will stand forever. So in the current state that we're in, the interim states, where the kingdom is, a, is part of your heart, or is in the heart of believers, there are still genuine believers and imitation believers. The wheat and the tares are side by side until the harvest time. And eventually there will be a separation. There will be a distinction between the two, between the true and the false, the just and the wicked. The separation of false professors will be finally evident and they will not be part of God's millennial kingdom nor his eternal kingdom. So now let's open our Bibles and look at chapter 13 of Matthew Matthew 13, and we'll look at verses 47 through 50. It says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, Separate the wicked from the just and cast them into the fire, the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. As we look at this parable, we want to illustrate, we want to look at three things. The illustration that we have, the application and the interpret, or the interpretation and then our application for us today. So first off, Jesus gives an illustration, just like other parables Jesus draws from common, everyday examples, everyday life, to illustrate an important aspect that the listeners could relate to. Jesus uses the illustration of fishing to bring out spiritual truths of the kingdom of heaven. And this parable was told to his disciples, and as former fishermen, I believe that they would get this example right away. They would really relate to this picture. In fact, Jesus' disciples were later found fishing with a dragnet. After Jesus' death, we see Peter, James, and John and other disciples went out fishing. And they tried all night and caught nothing. Then Jesus appeared to them and asked them to cast their net on the right side. And in John 21, 6, it says, So they cast, and they were now, and they were now so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it because of the multitude of fish. So Peter recognizes that it's the Lord, and he jumps right in and swims to shore. Then in verse 8 it says, But the other disciples came in the little boat, dragging the net with the fish. Then Simon Peter went up and dragged, into the, dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. Using a dragnet was an, was an efficient form of fishing, and it's still used today. If I went out to go fishing and I use a fishing pole, I might catch a few fish over the course of a couple hours, but that's not very efficient if I want to catch a lot of fish. Instead, fishermen would use this very, very large net. Sometimes this net would be over a half a mile long, and the net would be stretched between sometimes two boats that would go and sweep through the ocean or sweep through the sea and catch everything in its path. And this net was very, very long. It, was, it had um, floats on the top and weights on the bottom. And so it would just sweep along and catch anything that's in its path. 
They would catch all kinds of things, fish, seaweed, plastic bags, face masks. Well, and that's, not, that's not right now. But everything, you could imagine that everything caught, was caught in this net. And after it was gone through, it would be brought back to shore, and the, the fishermen would carefully sort through the, the big catch. And they knew exactly what kind of fish they were looking for. They knew what were good and what were bad. They were skilled in this. And so they put aside the good into a vessel, and anything else would be thrown out. It was useless. They couldn't use it. The good fish would be kept because you could sell it. So we have a separation of the good and the bad. Now we have, right after this, Jesus interprets the parable for us. And so we look at the interpretation in verses 49 and 50. So what will be at the end of the age? The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This parable is a warning about future judgments. In a coming day, there will be separation of the just, of the wicked from the just. It is a call with a sense of urgency to be sure that you are truly part of his kingdom. There will be many who, um, there will be many who believe they're going to heaven, but they're in for a rude awakening. They had no inner reality to their profession. Now, Jesus says that this will take place at the end of the age. So when will this happen? Will believers today be a part of this? Well, right now, as we said before, we're in the age of grace, where God is offering salvation freely to all who believe. All who are genuine believers from the day of Pentecost until the day Jesus returns are part of his church. At some part, at some point, which could be any day now, the church will be raptured and taken home to be with the Lord forever. Everyone who is truly saved at this point will be taken, but anybody that's left behind wasn't truly saved. So then there will be a, tri- a, tr- a seven-year tribulation, and the world will face a terrible time of judgments, worse than it's ever seen before. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus will then return with his saints in glory to set up his physical kingdom on earth. And we, his saints, will reign with him in the millennial. So those who made it through the tribulation period will be then um, judged and separated. And the angels will come. Jesus tells us that that's who, who the fishermen are, the angels. They're the agents that God is using And they will come down and they will separate the good and the bad, the wicked and the just. They are in charge of this. And the good fish are the believing Jews and Gentiles. And the bad fish are unrighteous, unbelieving people from all nations. The just are kept and they will enter into the kingdom of God. God's kingdom will be revealed. He will set up his kingdom on earth and Jesus will take his rightful place as king for a thousand years. But the wicked, they will not enter God's manifested kingdom, but they will instead be cast into the furnace of fire where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, if you remember from the previous parables, the 
parable that may, this parable may seem very similar to the parable of the wheat and the tares, where you have the wheat and the tares coexist, and then at harvest time the angels come and they they reap and they separate the wheat from the tares, and the wheat is kept and thrown into the fi- the wheat is kept and the bad is thrown into the fire, and likewise the sea has good and bad fish, and they're separated and the bad is thrown into the furnace of fire. So in both cases, you have separation. So what, what's the point of this parable? What does this bring to add to, um, what does this help us with? Or um, gain, what do we gain from this? Well, I believe there's two, two reasons, at least. The first one is, I believe the truth is worth repeating. The truth is worth repeating. In the parable, in each one, the end result is the same. You have the righteous that are saved, but the wicked are cast into the furnace of fire. And Jesus is warning that in the end, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming to those who are not true believers. And when Jesus repeats something, we ought to sit up and listen. We ought to take note and see why he's saying this. The judgment of hell is a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's not something that you want to take lightly. And second, I think that there's a, there's a difference between the parable of the wheat and tares and this one. And I think that the focus is different. The focus is that the focus is on the separation of the wicked from the just. Because if you look at Jesus' explanation of the parable of the wheat and the tares, he, he goes on about more detail about an enemy that came and sowed this thing. In the parable of the dragnet, the one we're looking at, he only mentions the separation of the good and the bad. That's the only part that he interprets. Jesus focuses on judgment that is coming. And ultimately, when the kingdom of God is revealed, he will root out all that offends and those who practice lawlessness. Judgment is coming and judgment is final. Now in the parable, Jesus doesn't explain what the, the net represents or the sea represents. And <clears throat> the, but the illustration of fishing, a fishing net, is actually common in the Bible. And when Jesus called his disciples after, um, when Jesus called the disciples who were um, fishing, he said, once they had, their, they had the greatest catch of their life, um, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So as an application from the parable, we could, see, we could say that the sea represents the world. And the gospel goes out like a net to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation. The gospel goes out and attracts people who are drawn to the message. And just like the parable of the sower, the gospel is spread to all the world, and people who hear it respond in different ways. And the world is filled with those who have heard the gospel and believed it, but it's also filled with those who have heard the gospel and rejected it. They're not truly saved. And as the days go by, the net pulls closer and closer and draws people to the shores of eternity where they will eventually face separation and judgment. They will be brought... Believers will be taken to eternal life and unbelievers to eternal death. Only unbelievers will face judgment before their sin before God. So now I want to look at the application that we have for us. And I have three applications 
that we can use to apply this parable to us today. We can apply it to the world today. Even though this is a future thing that's going to happen in the, going to happen later, we can look at how that we can apply this. Three things. Separation is coming. Separation is final. And separation is future. The first one is that the separation is coming. There's a sobering reality for everyone here today that judgment is coming to those who don't trust in the Lord. The end results for the wicked is hell. They will be cast into the furnace where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And this isn't a popular subject. It's not a fun subject to talk about. And many preachers and many people avoid this subject completely. They want to talk about the good things, but they don't talk about the bad. And people have a lot of misconceptions about hell, wrong beliefs that they hold that numb themselves to the seriousness of hell. You know, many people will say that it's going to be a party in hell and I'm going to have fun. Place the party with their friends. They think that hell is not that bad or that it's only going to be temporary. Others just flat, flat out don't want to believe that hell exists, but they will believe that heaven exists. But it has been said, we cannot afford to get this wrong. Having an accurate understanding of hell is crucial. And to do this, we must look at the source of truth, which is found in God's word. The Bible teaches us clearly about hell and about heaven. And in fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than he ever did about heaven. And he spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible, too. And Jesus warns us about hell because he's a merciful, compassionate, and loving God who doesn't want to send us to hell. He doesn't want us to end up in hell. And in this parable, Jesus is warning us that judgment is coming to those who have not believed the gospel. If Jesus hadn't said it, I don't think that we would have believed it. If Jesus hadn't talked about hell and the seriousness of it, I don't think we would want to accept it. But he did tell us because it is real and because we do need to be warned. And we'll look at a few things that Jesus said about hell. In Luke 16, 23, it says, Hell is a place of torment. The rich man who was in torment in Hades, he then cried out, to, cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. In our parable, hell is a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be unimaginable pain and suffering. The Bible says that hell is a place of unquenchable fire. In Mark 9.43, it says, The fire that shall never be quenched. The fire never goes out and is constantly burning. The fire never, never goes out and cannot be put out. And today you, ha you have fires that usually burn for so long. And they burn as long as there's fuel. If a house caught on fire, it would only burn as long as the wood and the structure get consumed. But in hell, the burning never goes away because the fuel never goes away. The fuel is never consumed. Hell is also a place where the worm does not die. Usually worms will come in when someone's body dies and they'll 
come in and um, eat the body and the flesh as long as it has a source. But in hell, the worm continues to have a source to feed off of, and it will never be gone. The worm does not die. Hell is not temporary. It is eternal. There, is, there isn't a temporary place that people can go that go to, they go to a place for a short period of time and then are released to heaven, as Catholics believe. Hell doesn't come to an end. The rich man begged to have Lazarus put just drops of water to cool off his tongue just to get the slightest bit of relief. But there is no relief. Relief never comes. Someone might ask the question, is it really eternal? Does it never end? The unfortunate answer is yes. It is eternal. It doesn't end. In Matthew 25, 46, it says that, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The moment you die, your eternal destiny begins. The righteous will inherit eternal life, and the wicked will be condemned to eternal death. You see, both destinies are eternal. They last forever. One is eternal life, and one is eternal death. Let that sink in for a bit. Eternity. This is a difficult grasp or difficult truth to grasp, to, to think about. Do you know where you are going after you die? Separation is coming. And separation is final. Our choices in this life determine our eternal destiny. Once a person dies, their destiny is fixed. There are no second chances. You won't have an opportunity to sit down with God and bargain with him, to strike out a deal, or to convince him that you somehow deserve to be led into his kingdom. Once you are cast into hell, there is no escaping or chances to repent or believe. That opportunity passes the moment you die. We see this example happen in Luke 13, starting in 25. It says, when once the master of your house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer to you and say, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will say, begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be, wailing, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. Separation from God is final. The last of the separation is future. And I say that because people may ask, how could a loving God send people to an eternity of punishment? How could a loving God do that? Eternity of punishment. And people don't want to believe that truth. They don't want to accept that. But the good news is that God 
has provided a way to save people from hell. He's provided a way to save sinners destined for hell. And the good news is that as of right now, it's not too late. Second Corinthians says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. With all these terrible truths of hell, it's important to know that God does not want to send anyone to hell. Hell wasn't created for humans. Hell was created for the devil and his fallen angels who rebelled against him. And because God is just and he's holy, he must judge sin. He must condemn sin. And he must do it righteously. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have sinned against God. And the wages of sin is death. That is our reward for, that's what we earned from sin. We earn death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, our sin separates us from God. And because he is holy and just, he must punish sin. But God is merciful, compassionate, and a loving God. And praise God he is, because he has made, us, made a way for us to be saved from eternity in hell. God sent his only begotten son into this world who took on human flesh and he dwelt among us and he was crucified on the cross for our sins. And he was buried and rose again the third day. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross and now he gives us a choice to make. Jesus offers salvation from our sins and from punishment that goes with it. Yet we are all, we are all still left with our own individual choice. We can repent from our sins and place our faith in Christ, or we can reject God's gift of salvation. Hell is a place for those who choose to reject God's message of salvation. But the Bible is very clear that God does not take pleasure in sending people to hell. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For why should you die? Fill in your name. The Lord is gracious by giving us second and third and fourth and fifth chances in this life to choose him. In 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is patiently waiting and calling each sinner to repent. And if we think about that question that I first asked, how can a loving God send people to an eternity of hell? You have to ask a better question. How could God allow rotten sinners into his heaven? How could a holy and just God allow rotten sinners into his heaven? But Jesus paid, um, paid for our sin on the cross and he has justified us for those who believe. We all deserve the punishment of hell. We deserve the pain of being eternally separated from God. But in his mercy, God has granted us the gift of life, the gift of eternal life, where we will not experience 
separation, anguish or pain. But again, just like the gift, the gift must be received and accepted. Will you offer, will you, will you accept his offer of salvation today? Now finally, I want to look at what's the application for believers today? What is the application for us? Let's look at the final verses of the passage. Jesus said to them, and this is verse uh, 51. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? That is, he's asking, did you understand all the parables I've told you? Do you understand them? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, some have said that this might be the eighth parable that Jesus told in this passage. Jesus' disciples then and now have important truths or important responsibilities of sharing the treasure of truths that they know with others. Both things that are old truths and new truths. For the disciples, Jesus' teachings were brand new. These were new concepts that they had never heard of. Now they were properly instructed about God's kingdom. They knew about the Old Testament truths. And now they know about the new mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus earlier told the disciples, as he was telling the parables, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. We have an incredible treasure of information about the kingdom of heaven. And, and for us believers today, we have an incredible amount of a wealth of knowledge by having the complete word of God in front of us. We have treasures that are old truths and new truths. And as a householder, we are stewards of what's inside. We are stewards of this treasure and must proclaim it. God wants laborers to go out into the harvest and tell men about his kingdom. We know, that the, we know the gospel. We understand what Jesus is telling about judgments. We know about the separation that's coming from God. We must be like, this, be like his disciples and be fishers of men. We must share the gospel and warn people about hell because it's a serious place. As we talked about earlier about the truth of hell and the seriousness of eternal separation from God, think about the people that you know. It's a very sobering thing to think about your coworkers, your friends, and your family who don't know Christ and where they will end up. We must warn them. We must tell them about the good news of how they can be saved. And we do this because we know, 2 Corinthians says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We must have an urgency to proclaim the gospel, knowing that every second people are ushered off into eternity in hell. It's not a comforting thought. It's not a fun thing to think about. But it should grip our hearts so that we take witnessing seriously. And we have been given great treasures from the Lord. The action of the householder isn't to keep in his treasure. It doesn't say that he kept it in and and hoarded the treasure for himself. He is supposed to bring it out 
He is to bring out his treasure, both good and old, or um, old and new. And he is to spread the gospel. He's to bring it out and spread it and proclaim it. We can't hoard it to ourselves. It must be shared with others. Hell is a real place. Hell means separation. Hell is a place of torment. It isn't a place to think lightly of. We are Christ's ambassadors. We represent the king and we represent his kingdom. And we've been given the ministry of reconciliation where it says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we think of your word and the, the impact that it has on our life, the seriousness of the, um, the future judgment that is coming to those who don't know you, Lord. And it should grip our hearts, Lord. I pray that it does and that it moves us to, to uh, share the gospel with those who don't know you, Lord. We pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would finally submit um, their life to you, that they would bow their knee and repent of their sins and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we just pray that you might um, move us to be better witnesses, bolder witnesses for you because the time grows shorter and shorter each day. Lord, we do thank you for the gift of salvation that you've given us, that you've redeemed us, and that you've given us an eternal home in heaven. We just thank you, Lord, for your son and what, what he's done for us. We just Praise you this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen.